Hello, everyone. This is the trader formerly known as Rob. I'm here with Devin, Matt, and Evan for yet another unexpected podcast. Uh, we have what I think is going to be a really fun episode for you today. So as always, we are going to start with a list review. That is that is our trademark. And we're going to take a look at a thousand point Gondor list for Throne of Skulls. Uh, then, and this is where spoilers are going to begin. So if you have yet to finish Rings of Power uh, after the list, please tune out until you have, because we are going to talk about the uh, finale for Rings of Power for a little bit. And then do a fun little exercise where we're going to take all of the various armies we've seen on Rings of Power um, and brainstorm ways that we could bring those to life on the tabletop. Um, so with that, let's get going. Matt, um, I believe you have an first, announcement for first, us. First, Rob, I think I think it's necessary for you to explain a little bit more into why you are a horrid and disgusting human being. I um, have no idea what you're talking about. Are you going through a tunnel? You're breaking up a little. Yeah, Rob, it's mm -hmm. right on your screen. What is? Yeah. What is? Yeah, I don't. Next, I don't next, see anything. Next your name? No, I don't. I don't yeah, see anything. Explain what no. you've done for the audience, please. Product placement. Spotify product placement. <laughs> All our Spotify listeners are so confused. Like, what? They <laughs> are. <aren't> they? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, how are you, trader? Well, unfortunately, um, you know, I will. I will be betraying the podcast at the next Articon. I have signed up to play with the Wanderers in the Wild for next year. Um, and so I am a traitor to the cause. Man, I'm gonna ask James if like we can all play you individually, like just at, no matter what. In a row, like a god. <laughs> yeah, like, all six games are against the puck. <laughs> you know what though? I would love that. That would make such a great episode. <laughs> Game three, I played Rob. <laughs> Game four, I played Rob again. <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah mick would play you twice in dominations <laughs> but let's all remember what's important here and that's that we're all going to Articon. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um yeah so speaking of that um just as a public service announcement here uh on october 31st the four-day Articon tickets go on sale the five-day Articon tickets went on sale at the end of september um Given the way the number of five-day Articon tickets that have already sold and the way things are trending, it is highly likely that the four-day Articon ticket sale uh, bundle will sell out the, the convention. So if you want to go to Articon next year, hop on October 31st, get your tickets. I think everybody on this podcast has already done that. Um, and, um, uh, and, make sure that you you have a spot because we'd really love to see you there. Yeah, absolutely. So, and just for anyone who clarify, the four-day and five-day, like if all the four-day sells out, you can't even buy the five-day ones, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, that, so at, at this point, people have had the opportunity to buy five-day tickets and presumably if you wanted a five-day ticket, you already would have bought one. Mm -hmm. um, but then the four-day tickets will go on sale. And once, my understanding is if, if all the slots are taken by four-day tickets, nobody gets three-day tickets. Nobody can buy any more four-day tickets. Nobody can buy any more five-day tickets. Um, it's done and it's closed out and you're out of luck until 2024. So, Yeah, I, I think there's a finite amount of total tickets and it's just tiered um, when they're releasing, basically. Yeah, exactly that. So... So if everybody had bought five-day tickets, there wouldn't be any four days, but assumedly there might be some. So get yep. on it. Coming up soon. Yep. 
Okay. Uh, so are we ready to talk about a list? Yeah, let's there talk are. about a list. <clears throat> so for all those who don't know, just uh, join the podcast, uh, you can actually submit a list on the YouTube mm-hmm. channel. Or you can probably just, you know, send Rob the trader a, a Facebook message. So, I almost spit out yeah. coffee just there. That was good timing. That was, so, that was so unexpected. Well, along with a, along with a bribe, because Rob also uh, accepts those as we as we discovered. So, yeah. so go go ahead and uh, write your list on the back of a $200 check and send it to Rob. And, uh, yes, everybody do that. Every listener. <laughs> <laughs> I accept. And for that matter, if you, if you prefer to write your list on the back of a $200 check and send it to me, that's also acceptable. <laughs> no, no take backs. I am point <laughs> on the $200 checks. Um, all right. So this is uh this is a, a listener who has a thousand point list for Throne of Skulls, um, and uh, it is it's an interesting list. We, it is a Gandalf Boromir list, which is something we've discussed in the past, but haven't talked about in a while. So I'm kind of curious to see how new thoughts and new meta have affected this kind of old staple here. Um, so the list has, as the leader, Gandalf the White on Shadowfax. With 10 warriors of Minas Tirith with spear and shield, uh, two rangers of Gondor, I think that's what Raj is, uh, with spear, one knight of Minas Tirith with shield. Then we have uh, Boromir. Um, uh, what is it? He's, he's got, got the banner. Horse. He's got yeah. a shield and horse. Yeah, he's yeah. got horse shield and banner. It's the white tower version. He's got H, Sh, and Bun. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he's got... 12 guard of the fountain court with shield two rangers of gondor with spear and one knight of ministerith uh then we have ingold five warriors of ministerith with shield two with spear and shield and three rangers of gondor with spear then we have madrill or madril um depending on your preferred pronunciation with six rangers of gondor with spear uh and that comes out to 46 models 15 might and 14 bows so just some additional thought here. Um, he considered uh, Huron over Madril and Ingle, but lose warband slots. So he'd have to, if he went with that option, get some more knights um, uh, just to, you know, kind of make figures more expensive. Um, and uh, his other thought is that Huron rule is not as important for allowing it, the Basically, Kieran isn't going to be quite as important because Gandalf's the leader here, which I understand. So with that in mind, thoughts, thoughts from the panel. So I guess with a quick disclaimer, Throne of Skulls, for those who don't know, is a tournament out in the UK that is actually known for not being competitive. Um, This is a competitive podcast. We kind of look through everything through that lens. And uh, so... As we review this from a competitive standpoint, understand that you probably for this tournament don't want to take all of our advice because the whole point is to bring kind of a a fun list that your opponent would enjoy so it, you know I, I i don't know i guess maybe that's not the best way to say it but well i wouldn't say that it's not competitive at all but a lot of your score is also determined by 
um, favorite army and favorite opponent votes. So yeah. it's one of those things where you want to win games because that's still part of the scoring. But on top of it, you want your opponent not to hate you, right? So yeah. that you actually get those favorite player votes. So you kind of have to thread the needle between not having complete trash and also not having something that is going to really put off the people playing against you. Uh, I, I mean, looked at from a theme perspective, I guess it's worth pointing out that you know, this list has Gandalf the White and Boromir, the White Tower of Boromir in it at the same time. Well, that's and, Madril, so I don't know if we went completely. Yeah, so this is, <laughs> yeah, th th this has various timeline fails um, in it from a from a themey perspective. So uh, uh, unless you're going to go into this and explain to your opponent that this is the Amazon Prime version of the timeline, <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the, the theme doesn't work. But I mean, with with that said, it's a legal list, and yeah. it's a finally list to play with um so why don't we kind of in, engage on what we've got here gandalf the necromancer bringing back yeah. boromir and madrill right. <laughs> so um all right well then competitively speaking um trying to like review 46 models at a thousand points i guess a good amount of them are pretty armored up so not too big a deal but i kind of am like my my frame of reference for a thousand points i almost feel like is that is 46 models kind of average i almost feel like it, it is. is slightly below i mean i always use the rule of thumb of one model per 20 points yeah so it too. is slightly below average but at a thousand point it's points it's probably within the noise especially since you've got two pretty expensive and capable hitters in the list in what, what board size does um throne of skulls use four by six. i know you've been there four by six. Oh, yeah. okay so that that yeah. matters a lot um because if it were four by four i'd say 46 models is perfectly acceptable like i think mm -hmm. it's even above what is strictly necessary for that sort of game but if it's four by six then uh then I don't think you'd want to go much lower than that. Um, yeah. If I, anything, you'd want to try and get more models in there. But I, I really don't know how you do that whilst keeping Gandalf and Boromir in the mm -hmm. army. Yeah. I mean, this is also an army that's going to fight in a ball anyway. This is not an army right. that's going to be detaching guys to go hither and yon on that four by six table. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you kind of you want the numbers for two reasons, right? One is to have board coverage for objectives, and the other is to just have enough models to survive to do what you need. Um, and on the second point, you've got fight five, you've got D7, and you've got blinding light. So 46 is more than enough for point two. Um, but point one could struggle on a six by four. But like you said, Matt, it's unlikely to split up anyway. Yeah. So look, I mean, when we're looking over this list, I mean, Gandalf the White is a given, Boromir is a given, because I think the two of them, the two of them together are are kind of the the core of this list, and the mm -hmm. rest of the list is built around them. So I think we we assume they stay in. I think Madrill or Madril is a must-have in this list, particularly on a four by six board, because mm -hmm. what you don't want to end up happening is have um and end up in uh um one of the maelstrom battle scenarios and get scattered to the four winds on this enormous board where you're never going to come back together mm -hmm. um so i think you need madril i think you need boromir i think you need gandalf for white the big question mark here is ingold 
and what gets, you know, basically what gets done with him. I mean, so look, Ingold is one of these figures that I have a hard time justifying putting in a list these days. And I, I got to say a large part of it has to do with his special, I don't back up special rule and how that has been FAQ'd into incomprehensibility. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it, it, at this point, I cannot honestly tell you, even after reviewing the FAQ, how this rule works. And considering that's kind of his gimmick, and there are other people who do the same stuff he does for a slightly, you know, they kind of fill the same role. It's hard to justify having him here. Um, and so I know, I know various people are going to talk about here and I'll let, you know, adding here and I'll let people talk about that. The downside of here is he's expensive. So something else needs to come out of the list. If you put him in another thought I had was to replace Ingold with Aralas, I believe is, I believe is the same point cost. I think it might Ruffles. be five cheaper. I yeah, he, you're right. Cheaper. He might be five cheap, five but, but cheaper. But marginally uh, the same. Are they the same? They're the same. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, he's the same. And I mean, the, the advantage of Aralas is I understand what he does. Um, and he brings, I mean, he adds another march to the list on top of, of Madril. Um, he has three might. He also has heroic defense, so he can play the role of the tank. Which I mean, so does Ingold. Ingold has heroic defense. Yeah, he's got strike and defense. Oh, which I could be an. You know the model so little that you didn't read the rules, or yeah, maybe I I'm just so. completely lying. But last I, I checked, I think he had both strike and defense. Yeah, I will double check. I've got it. Let's check on that because I. So I he, I mean, maybe he doesn't. No, he has strike and defense. You're right, and he, he, also, has, he also has shield wall with natural d7. So he's defense eight with heroic defense uh, right. in a pinch. All right. Um, all right. So Irolas has heroic defense. Irolas has fight five and he has march. Yeah. And Ingold think, does not I have think fight five. Fight five. Well, Majorella fight brings five is, march. Fight five also matters less because you've got the banner. So but it doesn't affect heroes. Him with the fight four. Yeah, oh, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't affect heroes. Um, but all right. Well, all right. So maybe maybe Ingold works as well as, as Irolas in this list does give you an additional strike. I mean, you can get on in here for um, 10 points less, um, and which gives you the strike. You do not have the defense with him, um, although you do have a guy where you don't have to worry. Well, you at least have to worry less about charging monsters. Um, so that's another thought. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll let you guys make the case for uh, for Kieran, um, and then we can go from there. Sounds like your recommendation taking gold out might be due to personal uh, dislike for the profile itself. Um, a lot of like the heroic defense, a lot of what he seems to be trying to do here with this guy is to stall while Bormir does his thing since Bormir is probably his only like hard hitting bug. You could already forget off, but um, I think for the reasons that you said to bring here last, uh, I, I can understand why he's bringing Ingold. I mean, Rob has more experience with Aerolast than I do. I've never even played the guy. I've only played Ingold. Uh, for, okay, so I guess just to say it, like my understanding of Ingold's role, rule is they can choose not to back up, but they're trapped if they do that. Yeah, so, so That's here's, like how it's been here's where it kind of landed, but a lot of this has come down to the dreaded use common sense rule. Mm. Um, and basically it's 
if he would be trapped naturally, then he's always going to be trapped anyway, irregardless of his rule, right? Um, so like if he was against a wall, for example, um, if he would be trapped by, say, double pikes behind him, he doesn't have to back up, but he will count as trapped because he would be trapped, right? And if he is able to back up and therefore not trapped normally, he will not count as trapped and not also not back away, right? Oh, which, now I understand. It's all so simple. No, right. Wait, and, and, and which, I mean, by the time you've explained that to your opponent, it's already, you know, the end of the round. So, <laughs> um, so I, I completely agree with Matt that I think uh, I love the model. I think it's really cool that the, the, the profile exists just from the lore. And, um, and I wish that it just never got FAQ'd at all because the way that it's worded in the book makes perfect sense. And who cares if he can't be trapped, right? Like, how is that breaking the game, right? So, um, and that's kind of his thing, right? Like, he stands his ground, so he's resolute. Um, he's not going to be trapped because he doesn't back away. But that is not the, not the uh, world we actually live in. Um, that's how it works. It's really only useful to maintain shield wall at this point, right? Or to, like make sure your your line doesn't back up off of the objective progressively as you lose fights. But wouldn't you rather just win fights with that fight five Boromir banner? Um, so I, I actually tend to agree with Matt that if you were just going to do a one-for-one -one swap, I'd rather have Irolas because Irolas is way tougher than you'd think. He has defense and he has that rule where he can shield um, with four dice at fight five. And then even if he, if he wins the fight, even while shielding, he can punch the opponent, right? So sometimes it's good to just do where you just throw four dice shielding against your standard um, warrior and knowing you're going to be able to punch them anyway. He brings March, which on the six by four, having two marchers um, for coverage on top of Madrill's Maelstrom protection is really not a bad thing to have, I think. It does add some mobility to the list. And he's got bodyguard. So if you've got you know, an army that has a lot of big monsters or a lot of terror, uh, the amount of times it's been really useful to have bodyguard on a character, whether that's Baragond or Irolas, um, is countless for me. And, you know, there are those times where a Madrill is going to fail that courage and doesn't have will left or doesn't have enough or you have to use his might and it's just a bad situation. So I, I don't think that the one-for-one -one swap with Irolas is a, is a bad idea. Um, that said, I don't necessarily think that that is the answer writ large because I, I definitely remain on team her in for this list, but I'll let somebody else talk now and close my traitorous mouth. I mean, the team her and I mean, I, so I agree about getting her and I'm actually was brainstorming how I would fit him in. Well, so, how... I mean, it's only 25 <clears throat> points to upgrade Ingold to her in. And if you, if you, um, if you lose, say, two models and then downgrade a handful of Fountain Court down to Warriors to make sure that you've got enough spears to I think he really wants that establish five. shield well. I, yeah, but I, I mean, I, you can still have, like, eight to ten guards of the Fountain Court with Fight 5 to sprinkle around your battlefield, right? Um, so I don't think you're losing the Fight 5. You've only got 12 to begin with. It's already not covering your whole army. So going down to, say, ten Fountain Court and then losing a model or two... I don't think it's going to substantially move the needle um, in terms of your uh, fighting ability because you've lost a model or two. If you're at 46, having 44 is almost the same. But what you do gain is a hard-hitting mounted threat so that you can take Boromir and Hurin and use them as mounted threats that attack your opponent and give them something they have to think about. 
Um, and then Gandalf can kind of play flex role, right? You don't necessarily want to have Gandalf have to be a combat character because he's going to be kind of your your spellcaster, blinding light caddy. He's going to be fortifying your heroes, and you want him to be a little bit more flexible. And so even though you, you, you're not necessarily worried about him dying because he's fairly tough, um, if he does, you've got her to protect him. But more importantly, you've got two regular mounted threats and then potentially three if you want to throw Gandalf in and it kind of it gives you more options in my opinion and I guess to support the whole reducing the 10 anyway it looks like Boromir's warband and Gandalf's warband is actually meant to function like one giant 24 or whatever man warband because mm-hmm. it looks like he's throwing his guard the fountain court behind the warriors of Minas Tirith for to bring the fight five to their shield wall well remember but, the rangers are also fight five and they've got spears so they're also going I'm to sure be too. in that shield yeah. wall as well so you're not really losing fight five and i mean i never thought i'd see the day where i would advocate for losing fountain court in favor of literally anything else but i just think, <laughs> I just think to get her in in there it makes sense yeah, yeah. i think so if you really want the fight five for slightly cheaper, you can also get Citadel Guard. Um, oh, that's right; so, those exist. Uh, the, I mean, w- w- on that point of Gandalf and Boromir's warbands are supposed to function together, which I agree that they are. Um, I would advocate, regardless of how you kind of work this out, taking half the Guard of the Fountain Court and putting them in Gandalf warband, and half the Warriors of Minas Tirith and putting them in Boromir's warband. Yeah. Um, and probably you can, I mean, if you need to to save a few more points here and there, you can probably drop the spears off some of the worries of Minas Tirith and just have them, you know, stand in the front. Um, that's actually what I would have done because it, I actually personally, I would put the warriors of Minas Tirith in the front like that. They seem like the front rank to me. I mean, my is anyone disagreeing with that? Well, I mean, the the guard of the fountain court give you defense. Seven, regardless of shield wall. Well, it's not about that. It's just if you lose a warrior of Minas Tirith, the casualty is not as important. And yeah, they are no, defense that, seven, regardless. That's true. Um, but <clears throat> if, if there are certain circumstances, though, I think where you want to put the guard of the fountain court in front, and certain circumstances, you know, just to make guarantee you get the the fight seven, uh, or I'm sorry, the defense seven, even after you get pushed back. I mean, you could also, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, just kind of cheapen this punch up without sacrificing fight five is you could have, you know, like half this warband be like a combination of warriors of Minas Tirith and Guard of the Fountain Court, and then the other half um, be uh, warriors of Minas Tirith and you know, Citadel Guard or Rangers on on the other side, and that'll save you, save you some points, keep the, keep the fight five. Um, it's not clear to me you need all of this bodyguard, or at least all of this bodyguard in the form of Guard of the Fountain Court. If you're if you're looking to squeeze Huron into this this list, and I, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I think Huron is probably the better option if you can squeeze him in. The only thing that's making me a little nervous is the fact that this is a six by four board, and maybe that second march is something that you want on a six by four board. You know, I can say like as I was playing those games, like the six by four definitely makes an impact, but because most of your opponents also have smaller armies, it tends to get relegated to a four by four. Um, that's kind of, but I mean, obviously missions like fog of war or, or like domination make this last minute, like bolt to the other side. So with the really small amount of cav or fast moving units that you have two marches, I think could be a good idea. And I'm pretty sure this Boromir doesn't have March, right? Definitely does not. not. No. Yeah. So, 
I almost hesitantly say like because that would be a good reason to bring um Eralas. But because I, I, I think actually it's really important from a competitive standpoint, this this army is really relying on Boromir to do a lot of work. And I get it, you got fortifies, <laughs> you know, fortify spirit on this, but He's he's doing a ton, and when you're dealing with a thousand points, I mean, it's not unexpected to deal with Balrogs and all kinds of crazy stuff mixed in with, you know, all kinds of other big. Like I, I think three threats at a thousand points is like the standard at this point. Like, and so Huron is almost necessary in order to bring a lot of like, like I, I feel like your your army does not present that third threat, not even in the the units themselves. And so, you know, I hesitate to say, but yeah, I guess I would have to say Huron and then maybe try to get a third knight. And maybe that'll allow you to cover like, you know, an objective on the other side of the field that's randomly there. If you guys don't mind me butting in, I think I've found a third threat and it takes the form of my absolute favorite model in the Minas Tirith list because of how stupid it can be, which is the Avenger Bolt Thrower. Mm. Um and I think ah, if, yeah. you, if you keep Ingold, um, I think you can fairly easily, instead of changing Ingold into Hurin, uh, just fit in an Avenger Bolt Thrower with the points you have. Um, the cost of losing how many models? Um, so Avenger Bolt Thrower is 50 points. You get three models <laughs> off of that originally. So I think you're losing two models max i'd say and maybe dropping some fountain court down to normal warriors mm -hmm. um and you get just a ton of board control from that you've got the two marches if you want or you can just keep ingold instead of Eralas. and then instead of sending knights over to try and fight over objectives you can just plonk down an avenger bolt thrower and just machine gun everybody off of the objectives instead and now instead of you having to go and fight your opponents and rest objectives from them, uh, you can instead shoot your opponents off of the objectives and sort of bring your opponents to you. Because I don't know about you, but I see no army that's really going to outshoot Gandalf the White plus Max Rangers plus an Avenger Bolt Thrower. Um, and I think especially on a six by four board, having as much board control as humanly possible is extremely important. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Um, one other thought, uh, I've taken a variant, well, a Gandalf the White in combination with the, um, uh, the trebuchet. Mm -hmm. And that's another, that's another kind of more expensive, slightly more expensive option. That's that's that almost changes the list a lot, in. though. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're really changing a lot of. Well, them. I mean, you could you could probably sacrifice some some rangers and stuff, but you're right. It would it would kind of change the list itself. The 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 trebuchet is not as you actually see how expensive it is. It's not as expensive as you might think. No, it's, it's, what, it's 80, eighty points. It's eighty points. Um, but uh, it, it 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 does solve certain things certain problems for this list, including having the ability to range over the entire four by six board. So, um, you know, I haven't really thought through how necessarily that would work, but it's just, uh, it's another option here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so you, you either go that route or you put in some um, siege engines for board control 
or you upgrade one of your characters to a third threat so that you have you know three striking mounted characters um pressuring your opponent or you just completely change the list and go for numbers right and you put in like denethor and just try to get as many numbers as possible that's really the the ways you can go i wouldn't do that i i think uh either the bolt thrower or hurin would would accomplish what you need but probably on team hurin mostly I, I don't disagree with the bolt door. I think it's a good mm -hmm. idea. But I mean, if you want my vote, that's kind of the route I'm going. I think it's also more my play style than the bolt thrower. So that's the way I would personally go. I think it's also think... more his play style too. Like just going <laughs> off of like what I'm seeing here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it sounds like he already is considering her in. It seems like he has maybe play experience with her in. Um, and so my fear is if he throws in a bolt thrower, he might misplay it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, throwing skulls though is the best place to practice. So you know, that's maybe true. Yeah, that's <laughs> try true. <it> out. <laughs> yeah. So, but obviously, theorizing off of a person I've literally never met, no, no. So obviously, great. well, and uh, and I I think that that is an important point to bring up too, though, is that um all of these things make the list, in my opinion, um, have more teeth, which could work against you at throwing of skulls, right? So you have to make that balance, like you said, Devin. Fortunately, though, you're not playing like the Black Riders, right? Legion or something. <laughs> so, well, you, you still might be. Him, so. You still might be, but that no, no, I mean, probably like, isn't, you know, going to I mean, to like, he's well. physically not bringing the Black Riders. Oh, you're not yeah. winning sportsmanship votes with that. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, and it's not, it's not a lot of scope. But it, it's either, Thievy. Right? So, it is Thievy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For anyone going to this tournament, if you're bringing the Black Riders, like, you better have a great personality <laughs> which probably you don't because you're bringing the <laughs> well and since you also need like favorite army votes as far as i understand it you have you better have like sculpted those ring wraiths yourself right out of green stuff <laughs> new poses the whole yeah. so but yeah okay so i think the, the the takeaway here is you don't have a third threat you can either go the bolt thrower option go the her option to solve that problem if you go the era last option you're, you're not you're not really solving the, the the greater issue, but you are indirectly solving um, the whole, like you have a four by six board. I think mm -hmm. simply adding in another night or two, maybe one, but it would probably fix that issue overwhelmingly. And then they just don't charge your knights into combat. They're simply not meant for that purpose. It's well, depending on the mission, obviously, but like, you know, their, their whole goal. And I actually think three is a good number for like recon or whatnot split, you know, all the different directions and whatnot. So um, that would be, I think, the final thoughts. Hopefully, if I wrap that up pretty nicely. Yeah, though the knights with, if you, they happen to be near Boromir, they're, they're a little better at being a threat than otherwise. So you, you can sure. throw them in that situation if you need to, but I agree that they're more for playing um, the scenario. Yeah. Any, right. other, any other thoughts? Nope, I think that's it. All so right. I guess we'll go to the uh, Rings of Power discussion. Mm-hmm. So now everybody here, I assume, has watched the finale, or this is going to be, um, you know, some shocked faces amongst us. Wasn't this a watch party? I thought we were watching it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I'm just going to say it now, and then I'll, I'll be silent for the rest of the time. Called it. <laughs> the how, oh, that they were going to make Halbrand sour? All right, so spoiler alert. 
Sauron is actually Hellbrand, and Hellbrand is Sauron. Um, if not, you didn't not watch everybody, the... <laughs> not everybody in the episode realizes this, some to their detriment. That's right. Um, <laughs> if you if you didn't listen to our advice at the beginning of the episode and didn't tune out after the list and have not watched the finale, we're sorry for the spoiler, but we did warn you. Hellbrand okay. is Sauron. So Hellbrand, Hellbrand is Sauron. Since that's obviously the big discussion point, what do we all think of that? Because obviously that's probably the most voted, like, oh, that's probably Sauron. But then it was so obvious and on the nose that it was like, probably not Sauron. So that, uh, and just to say to that point, I'm actually kind of glad they just stuck with it. Because I've seen so many shows be like, oh, fuck, they're going to be on to this. And they try to make it some other character that like, there's no clues dropped no hints and it's just like totally out of left field it's like nori is sauron it's like, and, oh. and i think i think they did it pretty well because they did not make the characters in the show dumber than the viewers were yeah because at, at about the time we started to figure out okay it has to be him galadriel also starts to figure out oh wait a minute there's something wrong here and figures out that it's him yeah um and 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 i appreciated that because you know they, they didn't fall into the trope of making the characters in the show the dumbest people on the screen mm-hmm. to to not figure out where things were going they actually got galadriel to figure it out at, at roughly the same time mm-hmm. um and in a way that, that was very cool. organic too like it was yeah. it was a way that made sense within the context of the show that that's what would trip her suspicion. Yeah, um, and, one- and, and, and she figured it out, by the way, a lot of the same ways that other people figured it out, which is, um, she's like, wait a second, how does this guy know as much as he knows about metallurgy that he's, you know, instructing an elf on, you know, a legendary elf on how to do it? And, uh, and oh, by the way, wait a minute, now that I think back on it, all of the things that he said to me you know, if they're true yeah. or, or yeah. add up to a problem. Yeah. So, so one thing that I, uh, well, first of all, I love it. I think that was a great, um, great reveal and great on the show. And one thing I appreciated was that throughout the eight episodes, like it was, I didn't think he was Sauron. Then I really suspected him. Then some stuff happened. I was like, oh, maybe not. Maybe I'm like off base. And then like, boom, it happened. Right. So mm-hmm. my moment where, um, where I first thought this is definitely Sauron, right? was in um, a couple episodes back when they're in Numenor and Galadriel goes to visit him and is like, stop being an idiot and being a blacksmith. We have to go. And he's like, why do you want me to go so bad? And they kind of get into an argument and she ends up telling him that she lost her brother. And he looks at her and he just goes, I'm really sorry about your brother. And to me, that looked like a personal apology, right? Like, I'm sorry I killed your brother as opposed to any you know like i'm sorry for your loss in a general sense but then they went to numenor and he's like all heroic and saving people and i'm like did i get that all wrong right so well, i really appreciate the seesaw yeah and, and not only that but the the thing i find really interesting about sauron and the way they portrayed him is he's he's not he, he doesn't he's not he's not like the uh, the fully formed villain right he it's clear that Sauron, like you know everybody else in this show, is you know has his conflicts and has his uncertainties. And there was that one scene I can't remember which episode it was, but it's the one where they're deciding whether or not to send the fleet. Where like he throws down the um, the bag mm-hmm. uh, and then decides to come back with it, takes it, and says, "All right, I'll go." And you know at the time it's portrayed as you know his inner conflict is 
you know, do I do I stand up for, you know, being the king of the South or not? And now when you look back on it, it's clear that what he's thinking is, what is the best path for my success? Do I stay behind and undermine them here? Or do I go with this expedition and try and undermine it yeah. there? Yeah. And and that's that's really interesting. The other thing that I found I find great about I can't I don't know the actor who plays Halbrand or Halbrand's uh, Charlie film. Vickers, I think. Charlie Vickers, yeah. yeah. I, the other thing I find great about his portrayal is you know, there there's this saying that um you know, good good villains think they're right. And it's it's clear in that one, you know, the reveal scene he has with Galadriel that he thinks he's right. Mm-hmm. And he can articulate that in a way that's at least internally consistent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't meet the great villain test. By the way, the great villain test is great villains are right. Um, but uh, uh, so it doesn't meet the great villain test. And I'm not sure you can actually do that with Sauron, but it certainly yeah. meets the good villain test. Well, and, um, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, are going to be complaining, oh, the lore, this, that, and the other. But I really do like, even if it's in a very condensed fashion and not necessarily at the same points it happens directly in the lore. But, you know, Sauron does kind of go through a repentant and unsure of himself phase, right? And so I tried this thing. It failed. There was a mutiny against me. I got killed again. Like, I'm just going to give up on this whole taking over Middle Earth thing. It's not even worth it, right? Um and, and that's that's something you can really relate to. It's like I've tried so hard and I keep failing. Like you know what, I'm just going to go a different direction entirely, until you know this this elf queen comes along and pushes me to kind of find that fire within myself again. Um, and I I read an article uh, and I don't know what publication it was anymore, maybe Variety or something like that, where the showrunners were talking about. Uh, this is obviously post finale how they they were inspired with the character of Sauron by John Milton's Paradise Lost and how Milton very specifically crafted the character of Satan to be very relatable and very like in some ways you agree with him and you're right and you develop a relationship with the character and that's supposed to actually simulate how how easy it is to fall and how we all need redemption because we're all so easily fooled by the great deceiver and in a way that's exactly what they did in the show where you relate to Hallbrand and you like him right and you kind of you root for him in a way and then when you find out he's Sauron you're like well if I'm asking how these great elf lords could be deceived by this character I've been deceived by him this whole time right and it kind of brings it home and I thought that was a really interesting take. Yeah, he is he is he is definitely the fallen angel character mm-hmm. that you know both Satan and Sauron were supposed to be. Which I is mean, also very fitting because that's very Tolkien-esque as well, right? Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's it, and it's good to hear it's good to hear Sauron who, you know, in all the movies and all the books, frankly, is this, you know, kind of mute monolith of evil. <laughs> and um, I actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh you know, actually kind of articulate his position, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, we, we've never had the opportunity to to see before. And I think was great fun. I mean, it, at one point in time, you know, so I have to attribute this saying. So at one point in time, I took a class with Alan Dershowitz. And one thing he told the class was um, that uh, nobody thinks they're evil. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you know, it doesn't mean they're not evil. It doesn't mean nobody's evil. It's just 
nobody thinks they're evil, no matter how evil they actually are. Mm-hmm. And it was great to hear Sauron's articulation of why he doesn't think he's evil. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important because actually psychologically, your brain does rush to justify everything you're doing and piece things together. But mm-hmm. So like I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually really like that. They, the whole, I, so just to make sure I'm fully understanding the scene, did he actually want, so I believe he wanted Galadriel to join him, but did he like put her in a trance at the end of the episode? He was, he was, he was inside her head. Well, he was okay. kind of doing the telepathic thing that the yeah. that she then actually later later does in the Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, the whole sequence where she's yeah, when he like kind of teleports to different locations, yeah, I believe she's in her head. But yeah, yeah, I'm saying at the end when she like gives up the knife and and all of that, it almost feels like she's so passive about the whole situation with Sauron. She's just like almost under his control. Like, so- oh, interesting. I read that differently. So, I don't know, but, like, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I don't know if I read it wrong. Here, here's the third take, and I attribute this to Evan, who noticed this when we kind of look into her eyes at the end. Is Evan actually, when we were watching it, goes, wait a minute, is she Sauron now? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I thought she was Sauron. <laughs> so until I saw the scene where he was walking toward Mount Doom, exactly. I yeah. felt like Galadriel was, like, in the river. And mm-hmm. Sauron had then reformed himself. And I figured that would be logical because they already showed that dark magic can make you reshape into other beings anyway the servants of sauron could do it so it makes sense that he which well we'll get onto them but but i thought that actually gladriel was sauron she seemed so in the trance like so like oh yeah this just happened to me but whatever let's forge these rings and it and just was like she was she only thought for a moment about that that knife like that's not a gladriel move everything we saw in this show that knife she protected that thing with her life. Like, didn't matter what situation she was in, whether in an ocean or whatever, that knife had to come with her. And now she's just like, yeah, let's go ahead and throw it in the fire and make some rings. Like, I, I really thought that that was Sauron. But now so, that I know it's so, not. So my take on that is that she views these rings as a weapon against Sauron. Yeah, me too. And that is why she's willing to give up the dagger because she is transforming it into another weapon to use against him. What makes you feel... Okay. I'm trying to like piece it together because I don't know... So if remember, the knife didn't work. She tried to stab him with the knife and he prevented that. So she knows she needs something else. And okay. that's what—that's how I think she... Well, she tried to stab it. him with the knife in her head, right? Well, no, she tried to stab him in real life. That's how he grabbed her arm and got in her head. Because I think, like, yeah, touch yeah, is yeah. integral to doing that. I actually, Matt, I completely agree with you. So the way I read that situation was that, you know, the last two episodes before the big reveal, um, after the, you know, Mountain of Fire erupted, she kind of had this moment of doubt where she's like, man, I'm just a warmonger. I was all wrong. And, like, what am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then after the Sauron reveal, and especially when they go back to that line from Finrod, which is, you know, you have to touch the darkness. Sometimes you have to touch the darkness to see the light or whatever. Um, When she came out of that trance, he put her in or whatever. I saw it as she's like, Sauron is back. I made him. He's regaining his power and he's actually real and a threat now. And if we're going to fight him, we're going to need a better weapon. And we're going to need to kind of fight fire with fire, right? And so she didn't go there thinking that her dagger was going to be melted down um, because obviously she couldn't know that that's what they would need until she got there. But when it came to it, it was kind of like, 
I know now 100% for sure that Sauron is back and that things are going to get really bad. And not only does that mean we can't leave Middle Earth, that also means we're going to need stronger weapons to fight him with. And if yeah. these magical rings are the thing that's going to, one, keep us here, and two, give us the power we need to oppose him, then no matter what, you know, it's kind of like the ends justify the means. No matter yeah. what, this is the most important thing we can do. Yeah, this so, was Galadriel saying game on. Yeah, this is her being like, uh, I'm going to continue my brother's mission okay. and his knife is just going to turn into a different form to do that. Okay, then that was at my any reading. point... No, well, so I can get with that. And the, the only the only doubt I would have about it is that at any point they see these rings as weapons. Like, to preserve their ability to stay in Middle-Earth? Okay. So they had to be done so that way they could stay to fight Sauron. But does did, did at any point... Did, that they say like these are actually like tools for more use than just preservation of our world this is like a very powerful they never obviously say weapon but they, i don't they, they haven't said that yet but it's not clear to me that they needed to have said that yet i think yeah. there's there, there there's a whole plot line behind these rings and and by the way put a pin in this because where are the other 16 rings right yeah right. <laughs> all created at the same time um but I, I think there's I think these rings are going to be the center of an unfolding plot line. I, I think that and I also think that you don't really need to say it because um, clearly Sauron was remarkably desperate to get them done and to craft this power of the unseen world over the flesh, quote unquote. And so if he thought they were something that needed to be made in their mind, obviously, they've got some kind of power that he either wants or is afraid of. So I could yeah. I could see how they made that mental leap without actually yeah. having to say it, right? It's As for the other rings, I wonder if I wonder if they were kind of crafted on screen as they were trying to perfect the recipe for the three elven rings, and that's how we'll find out they were made when they kept like blowing up the forge and stuff, or if that will be something that gets done later. That'll be Yeah, I, I think that's gotta be something that gets done later. Well, then actually, to your point to the Galadriel thing, if it's a weapon, then maybe uh, she's the one who proposes that, because if they are actually useful tools, and it's like, hey, look, everybody needs these things. So, yeah, and, and, and by the way, the decision to make three rings was hers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, their rationale behind it being not balance, but like sort of a checks and balances of a sort. Yeah, well, I mean, it, balance, really, yeah. I yeah. mean, her, her rationale is... Uh, you know, one one power center breeds corruption. Two, division, and three is balance. Which, by the way, is true, except if they distribute the rings the way they did in the book, where two go to Gil Galad and one goes to Galadriel. <laughs> but, but he gives but, his ring to Kirdin pretty fast, right? I think um, in the book, or does I that happen? I think I think Gil Galad gives one to Kirdin to him. Yeah. Well, I think oh. I, when he dies, he gives it to Elrond. He gives the other ring, but I think he gives it to Kirden before. I'd have to double check. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think. He but, does. but I agree with you, Matt. That like yeah. the thought is there, but the execution was clearly not. So I, I think what's probably going to happen on screen is that Gilgalad is going to get one, Elrond is going to get one, and Galadriel is going to get the third. They'll probably just. Uh, I actually think that um, Celebrimbor instead of Elrond is going to get one, and then you know, spoiler alert, he dies in the lore. And then before like Eregion falls, he sends the other one back to Gilgalad, and Gilgalad gives it to Kirin. How does that happen in the lore again? Uh, uh, he gets killed by Sauron. Yeah, yeah. He, gets, he gets killed by Sauron, who's looking for the rings, but he's given the rings to other other elves for safekeeping. And so I think it's going to be one of those. Um, 
he knows that the end is coming, so he sends the ring away to Gilgalad and Lindon, who gives it to Círdan, who we know is cast for season two. He dies gruesomely, and then he um, Sauron uses him as a banner. He crucifies him to a banner and Jesus. carries him in front of the army. So we'll see if they actually show something like yeah. that in the show. But that'll be that'll, that'll yeah. be a brutal like turn of events. Like I mean, yeah. the show is already showing it. It can go to that like graphic detail, like you know we saw burning bodies and such. So yeah. Um, and the wargs so uh so on the subject of people who guessed wrong um i don't think uh anybody can say that they guessed wrong worse than the three witches oh that's true. yeah right yeah. <laughs> that's like a pretty big misfire <laughs> <laughs> that's right that, that may go on record as um the, the worst airport greeting uh, ever <laughs> so all right i, I just want to Quick, this has been bothering me. One of the we'll call them witches. We're calling them witches. That's what they are. Yeah, well, well, we're calling we're Cultists. calling them witches because um, wizards because Mick called them the three witches. Um, okay, but so we'll go with witches. They, they um, have names, by the way. They do. Um, yeah. uh, okay. uh, they have names that I guess you can figure out by pausing the screen and seeing who the actors are playing. And it's, it's the ascetic and, dweller and nomad, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah the ascetic is the caster. Um, the nomad is kind of like the Hashirin type guy with the throwing knife or type woman with the throwing knives. And then it's not at all clear to me what the dweller does. So they have a staff with an eye on it. From my understanding, the whole idea of the eye wasn't a thing until Sauron died. Yeah, like, that so, I, I'm not sure that was. Let me actually get see if I can find a picture of that. Like, it's not like he rallied eye. behind banners of an eye. It was like, if I remember right, maybe I'm wrong, Rob, you can correct me on this, but in the books, the eye is watching the great eye. One, it wasn't actually an eye, but it was more like a propaganda to say he's always there. He's always watching, you know, so keep working, you know, keep doing your thing. So I, I pulled up like, a picture of the staff. I mean, I think that it looks like the eye of Sauron specifically because we are almost trained to see the eye of Sauron, but functionally, it, it's not specifically an eye, right? But wouldn't the could, people... could you pop that on screen uh, just so we could see it? Uh, I feel like the props department would have known that it looks very close to the here, let me, um, tower. Since you're already doing screen share, let me send it to you here real quick. Well, no, you can, You have the capability to screen share. I, I don't because my, my computer blocks it, unfortunately, but here you go. Well, that's an unhelpful thing for your computer to do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was one thing that I was kind of like, if I'm right and it's an eye, I'm like, how? I think that it is an eye, but it's an eye because we we want it to be an eye because we know what Sauron becomes. Whereas if you look at it, it could also be a sun. It could also be like a moon, right? It could be a lot of things. True. All right. But I, I agree that like... it's it's a clear visual cue for the, the viewer to link them to Sauron in our minds. Yeah. Right? Um, well, then I guess going on that point, so it's confirmed he's Gandalf, right? Like the guy. The, the, well, the stranger. it's not confirmed, but he certainly is talking like Gandalf. Yeah, he's sounding. I, I normal, think it's all but confirmed, personally. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's this one. There's this one line where he talks about like following your nose at the at the end of the first episode, which is like straight out of um, straight out of Gandalf's uh, lexicon. Well, it's word for word, in fact, right? From yeah, the movie okay. to the show, um, except yeah. that they change Marriottach Brandybuck for Eleanor Brandyfoot, which is itself yeah. not much of a change. 
Uh, all right, so here's the, here's the staff, by the way, um, and so yeah, so this is this is I ask, but um, the thing in the center yeah. could quite easily be a. It could be all uh, kinds of different things. It could be I, a moon or a sun like, or, yeah. or whatever, or just, yeah, not, or just like a disc, right? Yeah. It, it could be a disc. You know, you're right, Rob. Actually, seeing well, it and and especially because we know we know that they're from Rune. Rune geographically is you know Tolkien's Asia, land of the rising sun. Like it could be the way Easterlings have sun motifs, right? It could just be a sun. Okay, no, I think you're right. Seeing it up close like this, okay, it's not it's not very obviously an eye. It, but it, I think it's, it's cleverly it. done to also be an eye in such a way that we who know the movies and the lore will associate it with Sauron. Yeah, right? it's definitely eye adjacent. But if you actually look at her clothing, by the way, you'll see the predominance of circles in the design mm -hmm. of her clothing, um, and, and not and those are not kind of eye aesthetic. Circles. Yeah, it seems just, to be more of just a motif of their design. Like, yeah, exactly. Can we okay. actually take a second to just acknowledge how awesome the design of the three witches were, though? Like, they oh, look so cool, don't they? Like, yeah. generally. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I, you know, I, I certainly like them. I think the Hashirin one, as you mentioned, it was mm -hmm. a little, um, well, I guess the, here the they come from Rune. Yeah, the Nomad. She's a little too, like, on the nose of like a Hashirin. I think the rest of them, I like their design aesthetic. Mm -hmm. It was only that one that like her little head garb that she had like- Well, it kind of looked perfect. like a Phrygian cap to kind of represent the whole yeah. East, right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, if they're coming from Rune and that is basically, mm -hmm. as you said, Tolkien's Asia, then it's fitting. Yeah. So, uh, well, but yeah, I mean, no. I... The Rune kind of represents, you know, Asia, the Middle East, the East in general, right? So all of those various Persian, um, uh, Chinese, all those influences all kind of wrapped in one, right? I Yeah, no, I, I definitely like their whole look. I think I like the way that they portrayed their magic. It felt very much like the fact that they needed to find a source of fire before they could just breathe fire all over the place. Mm -hmm. Very, We've seen that before. Him, her moving Gandalf around, um, reminiscent of Saruman and Gandalf's fights. We've seen that before. So like the magic seemed pretty similar to what we've already seen before. So I'm glad that they weren't mm -hmm. like doing anything crazy new so the transforming so being able to appear as someone else that's something i'm so glad they brought in because i was kind of like annoyed that that never happened in the book because like saruman and gandalf and all of them can do that and they mm -hmm. never show that at all that they can and, like appear and what's interesting by the way is there are limit there appear to be limitations on that power in that the aesthetic the aesthetic has to touch a person first before mm -hmm. she can assume their shape yeah she touch she touches nori and then she oh, can yeah. become nori mm -hmm. and then yeah. she touches um proto gandalf and then she can become him. proto gandalf okay. i like now, it then okay that's good i mean the fact that it does have a limitation mm -hmm. allows them to not get caught up in scenarios where it's like why didn't she just transform and oh, yeah, so. yeah oh. why can't you just transform into a bat and flap away it's, it's yeah exactly yeah. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that is the restriction behind it. And, and I kind of hope that this isn't the last we see of them, even though they, they you know, at least nominally meet a fairly gruesome end, which um, I love that they kind of almost looked like Twilight Ring Wraiths when Gandalf revealed what they really look like. I, I really are, wonder what's going to happen with that. They're definitely, they definitely do appear to be, you know, we're talking about proto-Gandalf. These guys definitely appear to be proto-Wraiths. 
I was so, um I was desperately looking at their hands to see if I saw any rings, if like the rings of men were already forged off screen and these were ring wraiths or something. But I I'm kind of glad that wasn't no. the case. Yeah, I, I am glad that wasn't the case. And also, I don't think they're bad. Um, I think you banish them and they mm -hmm. come back just like all the other spirits do. So yeah, I, th I think you're yeah. right. I, I, I hope so. I'd love to see more of them. So. All right, and uh, then we. Yeah, and Ga and Gandalf. How do how does everybody feel about that? I know this is probably going to be pretty controversial for people. Uh, well, I guess for me, it was kind of like, it was so obvious it was Gandalf that the only reason I didn't believe it was Gandalf was just because, you know. I, I think because it was so obvious? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, so I was kind of like, well, I mean, this is the reason he loves hobbits. And like, so well, I mean. The other reason not to believe it is because he's not supposed to be there during that time period. He's, well, but the he's show an age the, early. The, the show is very clearly stuff where it's like the timeline i think and honestly it's probably a smart move anyway because that they have to age the actors incredibly for all the human characters it would just be a mess and you'd have new actors i mean well i don't know house of the dragon and game of thrones thing is doing it so well and, <laughs> and i would say that um obviously the gandalf of the lord of the rings arrives in the third age mm. but aloran who is gandalf right he's been in middle earth many times from the beginning of time, essentially, like he would walk among the elves before they went to Valinor. And since they've written so little about the Second Age or Tolkien wrote so little, there's nothing saying he couldn't have come, you know, and then died or something, been sent back to Valinor and then resent as a wizard That's in a the Third point. Age, right? So yeah. it's not necessarily anti-lore, even if it's not like 100% lore adherent as we know. And apparently the blue wizards were present in the Second Age. Well, Tolkien actually wrote like two or three different versions of that. In one of them, they came in the Third Age with Gandalf, basically, or right before. One right. of them, they came in the Second Age, and I don't even remember the third one. Um, basically, he never he never settled on that, and so when his son was compiling, you know, the Silmarillion, the Unfinished Tales, the histories of Middle Earth, he kind of picked one, right? Um, and he'd be like, "Oh, based on my dad's notes, this is what I." have decided to make quote-unquote canon even though all of those are theoretically non-canon um the only thing canon quote-unquote would be the main books that that tolkien published himself but so i mean there's a lot of scope there where it could be one way it could be the other way um and and so i think it's kind of silly to try and be 100 adherent to anything in the unfinished tales or the silmarillion because yeah. it's all kind of um you know mutable even peter jackson wasn't totally faithful to oh he wasn't faithful that. at all in yeah. a lot of ways so, right so i mean jesus the whole uh, you know i could go on and on about the differences there but i'm like that's one thing like for anyone who's upset about the show because it's not following faithfully the book i'm like well none of them do like <laughs> this is not new at all like this right like tell me so. tell me about that scene in peter jackson's fellowship of the ring where glorfindel takes frodo to rivendell right like yeah. he, he wasn't adherent either so yeah palinor fields like the, the, the whole undead scene i mean helm's deep <laughs> helms, yeah <laughs> helms and helms deep. i mean yeah i agree cave troll and moria like yeah so um, i actually i actually really even though it was obvious i and I mean, i guess it still could not be but assuming that it is gandalf i think that's a good choice because mm -hmm. As a viewer, like, I don't have a relationship with the Blue Wizards. I don't care about the Blue Wizards. I don't know about the Blue Wizards. So having a character I know and care about assume kind of the role of what the Blue Wizards did, right? Go to the East and so Discord gives me as a viewer a emotional entry point to care about the character and ties it to the wider, you know, um, legendarium that I love. And it simply just 
gives the role of the blue wizards to a character I already like, not unlike the way Peter Jackson put, you know, several characters uh, roles condensed into somebody else, for example. Yeah. Right. So I, for me, I like it because it's like, Oh, I care about Gandalf. I want to see a young Gandalf. This is something that I enjoy. Young. <laughs> young. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what? There isn't, you know, it's possible also we could still see the blue wizards and that this is just an introduction to, the wizards fall into earth now we see how that kind of interaction happens mm -hmm. potentially we could see more in fact i wouldn't even rule it out that in future seasons you might see all five i don't know maybe i'm wrong about well and uh this. one interesting thing and this could happen later is that in at least one version of the way tolkien wrote about the blue wizards they actually went to the east and turned to evil and started magical cults so they yep. could, e you could easily have sent Gandalf, quote unquote, and he's clearly headed to the east. This whole thing is I need to get to Rune, right? Because the previous wizards turned evil in the east and he's there to like combat them or something, right? And I mean, the, the cultists could very well have been sent and taught magic by the blue wizards who had turned evil in the east. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's no saying that we don't actually encounter more wizards as well in a way that might be very interesting to have like a proto Gandalf v. Saruman kind of showdown. Yeah except not two wizards so it's kind of screwed yeah <laughs> but, but but yeah no, i mean everything about that to me um I, I i guess once again i just have to commend the show is not trying to pull a fast one and subvert expectations by giving all these clues that oh it's this character but it's not and it's just like well now it doesn't make any sense like and and the thing is even like the sauron example it, some certain things can be brought into context like why wasn't sauron eaten by the worm you know, the giant, you know, he's like, he's the only one who survives. Like, right. well, yeah, now it makes more sense, right? Like, so, um, so. Well, yeah. and uh, obviously, um, uh, Matt, you brought this up on a previous episode, but his remarkably difficult shattering man's arm. Yeah. Uh, moment, yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you have to be quite strong to do that. So, But see, now <laughs> I, I appreciate that this stuck to it because I'm like, yeah, otherwise that doesn't make any sense anymore. Like, a lot mm -hmm. of stuff Halbrand did doesn't make any sense if you don't make him Sauron. And so I'm like, good, you just stuck to it. Mm -hmm. Everyone was guessing it, like a lot of people, but mm -hmm. they're just like, yep, this is exactly what it is. Well, and now when I do a rewatch and I inevitably <laughs> will do a rewatch, I'm going to see it in a completely different light with that being confirmed, right? I'm very yeah. excited about that. Yeah. So, And I also thought they, I mean, I said this before, I'll say it again. I thought they did the arc very well as mm -hmm. far as, as taking it to the point of, you know, like creating an inkling of suspicion, building the suspicion, going back on the suspicion and then taking it to the point where you figure it out at roughly the same time. Mm -hmm. If for certain at roughly the same time, the characters do. Yeah. I do think it was, you know, they attempted a clever writing of um, declaring the old man is Sauron. So that way it would throw the viewers off. Mm -hmm. They're like, all right, well, Halbrand can't be Sauron because now this is Sauron. But yeah, I mean, obviously, oh, yeah, um, that can't be right. Yeah, that can't be right. Exactly. <laughs> my, uh, like so they tried a clever writing. I story. watched it with my wife, and my wife isn't, you know, nearly as much of a nerd into this as I am. And when that happened, she turned to me on the couch. She's like, "What?" <laughs> right? And I'm like, "No, relax. It's gonna be fine." But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, I thought that reveal was great. Um, I guess not much else was really revealed in the episode other than the king dies, King of Numenor is dead now. Um, yeah, Tar, Tar Palantir. Yeah. And um, well, that was actually um, kind of interesting as a scene to see um, the se sowing the seeds of our Farazan, like looking at the king dying and talking about how men cannot achieve immortality. Because if you know anything about the lore, 
he eventually becomes so afraid of dying and wants to achieve immortality. That's why he invades Valinor, right? Yeah. Spoiler alert, but you know, this has been around for 60 years. Read the book. Yeah. Well, um, he never even makes it on the shore, right? Yeah. Like well, he makes it so he makes it on the shore, but he gets like trapped in a cave for all eternity or something like that. It's it's weird. Yeah. Um, but but the point is like see, sowing the seeds of Arpharazon's fall, because before now he's just kind of been a politician who hates elves, right? But seeing that kind of glint in his eye um, and the way the character played that that genuine emotion of fear of death and desire for immortality, which, by the way, just as a side note, the acting was outstanding, right? Like we're talking about um, Charlie Vickers as Sauron, the way he switched from Halbrand to Sauron on a moment's notice, and it was just a different character, like kudos to how well that was acted, like visually it was no longer Hellbrand in a split second. And I didn't think a person could do that with acting. So good job. But the same thing with Arpharazon switching from, I'm just the chancellor who's, you know, power hungry, sure. But but turning into Farazon the counselor into the future, Arpharazon the Morgoth cultist in that yeah. moment was very cool. Now, um, just to bring clarity to it, the uh, king told the girl to touch the plant here. Why was he having her do that again? I know he like thought she was someone else or something. Uh, he thought it was his daughter. He was having yeah. like his, you know, no. hallucinating as he's old and sick and losing his mind. I mean, I assume what's going to happen there is that she's going to see the destruction of Numenor. And then it, what's unclear to me is kind of what she's going to do with that. Because mm-hmm. She could take it to Alpharazon, and Alpharazon could, you know, take it, interpret it completely the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, or she could take it to her dad, and they realize what Alpharazon's going to do, and mm-hmm. that's when they like take the fleet and break off. I, I don't, I don't know which way it's going to go. So. so yeah, I agree. I, I think that it's really hard to guess what they're going to do with the character. Either she is going to be the architect that builds like Minas Tirith, right? Or she's going to be the architect that builds the temple to Morgoth on Numenor because she becomes Farazon's number two. And it could go either way. All right. Well, I guess with the time that we have left, I mean, unless there's anything else about the show, I know um, Rob, you proposed an idea of maybe those who want to try to create armies. Yeah. Um, so if anybody has any thoughts on the show uh, or wants to hear more about it, just um, put it in the comments. We could certainly discuss more in later episodes. But um, since we're also excited about Rings of Power, um, clearly we've all watched this show uh, with great interest. Many of us are, you know, as hobbyists and gamers looking at that and thinking, well, what if I want to play with these Rings of Power characters and armies on the tabletop? Unfortunately, we have no idea if and when uh, that is going to happen officially with Games Workshop getting the license and putting out rules and miniatures. It could be soon, it could be a long time away, or it could be never for all we know, right? So in the meantime, all we have is the profiles that we that we have now. And so if we were to want to channel that passion for this uh, material into something that we could represent on the tabletop, how would we do that? Um, so why don't we take a second and talk about that? Um, Roughly, I would say there are broadly three armies uh, that you could do. I'm not going to count like the elves because you just play the elves, right? Yeah. But that's I, kinda... um, or like the Harfoots just play hobbits, right? Like there's not a whole lot, a whole lot of um, stretching to do there. But the three main buckets I can identify for armies that 
would work differently based on um, rings of power than they would in the game that we already play would be the orcs, the Southlanders and the Numenorians. So um, I have some ideas for those and uh, I'm sure you do too. So why don't we start by one, one, one little asterisk. Maybe we can talk a bit at the sure. end is the three witches. Oh yeah. And the three witches. Good call. I, um, I didn't even think of them, but I think that's a great idea. So why don't we just pick one? Does anybody have a particular preference for which of the three buckets we do first? Oh, yes. Go ahead. I was like maybe the Southlanders because that, that seems to me to be a little bit of the easiest one to represent in the game. I um, thought orcs was the easiest one, but... <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to do orcs first, let's do orcs first. Oh, no, no. I was saying there... I, was, I wasn't saying which way you should go first. I was just like, it's a term of easy... Well, I mean, <laughs> the orcs, orcs are, are orcs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, let's go with Southlanders. Okay. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, well, so I guess you had a thought on that one. Uh, well, I can go first, or if somebody else wants to give their thoughts first on the on how they would represent the Southlander, represent the Southlanders. So, go first, Rob, lead in. All right. So, for me, this actually seemed like it would be pretty easy. Um, obviously, and for all of these armies, it would uh, be pretty hobby intensive because you'd have to convert the aesthetic for the various new characters. Um, but the Southlanders, for me, um, seem pretty easy. Uh, Devin, before we started the podcast, you mentioned something that, that I thought was interesting that we'll pick up on, uh, is that you can kind of represent them as both good or evil. So on the good side, for me, what I would do is you would make it a small army because it was a fairly small village of Southlanders, and you would have um, Lake Town Militia that you would use to represent the the actual Southlander army themselves. And roughly what I would do is I would have Hilda Bianca, right, to represent Bronwyn. I would take um, Bard's son to represent Theo, right? And then just like a captain, a Lake Town militia captain to represent, uh, I don't actually know the name anymore, but the other kind of like village leader that ended up getting killed in the battle. And those are your main characters. And then you fill out their war bands with Lake Town Militia um, with a mixture of spears and bows and et cetera. And then you plop in Legolas to represent a Rondir, right? And it, once you do that, once you have Legolas with his bow, uh, Hilda, Bronwyn, Theo, and, um, and the Elder with full warbands, um, it's about a 400 point army. So if you're kind of doing a small skirmish to represent, you know, this tiny little village defending itself against overwhelming odds because they were quite heavily outnumbered, that would be the way that I would probably do that. Um, I think Arondir is an amazing character and I think he's awesome. And so I might try to take my hand at converting him myself. Uh, I believe it becomes a green alliance, right? Because Halls of Thranduil and Lake Town Militia are green together. Uh, which doesn't really matter because you're not taking Bard. Though, if you wanted to go to higher points, you could take Bard and call him Hellbrand, King of the Southlands. Because we know that's not who he is, but the villagers seemed pretty motivated by the idea. So so that would be the way I would do the defense of Tir Harad, would be, would be Lake Town Militia plus Legolas. So I would modify that, I wonder. Because the one leading them, it's just, you know, throwing out thought ideas here. But the one leading them is, is the elf, it seems. What's his name again? Arondir. Arondir. It seems like he's the one who's kind of... Like, I, I, I understand completely that Halbrand is certainly who they rally behind as far as the king. But mm -hmm. in the actual, like, battle, if you were to represent it, before he actually shows up, it, I think it's Arondir who's kind of leading them, right? Like, yep. I would kind of wonder if... And I know he has a man profile, but like if you use Bard, but like, you know, with his 
three bow shots. It's kind of elf-like. Yes. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of almost wondering if maybe that profile, certainly not the look of Bart, obviously, right? But the profile could suit um, a Rondier just before Halbrand arrives. Like, if you yeah, were just I like, trying to... I like that too. Yeah, I don't hate that. Yeah. yeah, I don't hate that at all. I think that's pretty cool. So, obviously, you wouldn't have any daughters or whatnot, um, but... Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, you could have the daughters to give him the extra fight and the um, extra oomph to make him more elf-like, right? Or one daughter, and that's Bronwyn. So yeah. You could do one as Bronwyn, but the other... You could do the other one as Theo. It, well, no. Actually, I wouldn't do the other one as Theo. I would use Bran as Theo. Yeah, that's why I would use as Theo um, yeah, yeah, nominally, yeah. but if you wanted to use both daughters, you could well, do Bronwyn What I'm and saying Theo, is right? that um, Bran interacts with... Uh, bard the way that theo interacts with arondir like theo I that's think, true respects him so i'm like it kind that's of true. even adds that little extra effect mm-hmm. where like you know the best part is you wouldn't even have to change brand all that much they kind of look alike right <laughs> as far as the, the yeah. figure sculpt like but no you actually be... wouldn't have to change him at all you just paint him with like dark hair right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. maybe <laughs> cut off his sword a little and paint it black but well yeah. or, or make the sword fiery or something like yeah. That. yeah 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 that would yeah. be really cool um so that's i guess what the... i would have done with a rondier that, no, that was i, I like that idea that's cool. i like that idea too so the the, the one kind of downside to this or the one i guess you know kind of fly in the ointment here is the fact that the survivors of light town have armor Mm-hmm. and these guys didn't and i think the way to model that is you just don't buy any of them shields mm-hmm. yeah because they didn't have, they didn't have shields and I just think spears shields, and bows yeah spears and bows i think that's right and it's yeah. probably i mean i think i don't know i was thinking of a man any man profile yeah 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 you're probably right you just you couldn't get around the armor issue you just have to do shields and bows did they oh yeah they did have bows yeah they had bows on the roof. yeah so they had they had archers for sure um to to be fair i mean people are always complaining about how the survivors of lake town don't look like they have armor anyways so i think this is pretty much a, a one-to-one conversion that is not talking right. about the profile you said i'm sorry he wasn't talking about the aesthetics because theoretically you're going to model them all off the movie anyway what he's saying is you no can't no get I, i'm not forward. talking about the aesthetics either i'm just saying that if you argue that survivors of lake town have armor then you can argue that these guys also <laughs> have true. armor. <laughs> they have as much armor on as the southlanders do right yeah. yeah i agree those are those are some really <laughs> thick jackets i guess it gets cold in mordor right well what you need to do is you would need to insert the scene that they do have in the Hobbit movies where they're going into like the armory of the elf stronghold and like pulling out the old chainmail and putting it on and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, either that or you could just say that it's, you know, the, their armor is their intense will to live. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, um, if you actually had time to sculpt all this before Throne of Skulls, this would be a really cool army. Definitely um, beyond my skill, so I'll, I'll never do that, but somebody out there can. So, so those are the two ideas, I guess, on how to make the Southlanders at least on the good side. I mentioned to Rob that the evil side has Southlanders, and now they are armored up, and they're armored as orcs, which makes mm-hmm. my so I threw out an idea of ruffians, and mm-hmm. which I think is um, awesome. It, in theory, it was like at first I'm like, oh, ruffians, that sounds great, and you even have some of the leaders that you could use to like you wouldn't obviously use shark, you'd use um the guy who sets woods on fire. Uh, yeah so i i actually think that the better take on this are the wild men and that's why i was Mm. like wondering because i'm like one they had armor they had orc armor so i don't well wild men don't have armor either wild men don't have armor either but they they have the whatever the wild men leader is in the dunlin list 
yeah that, that the kind of subs maker. in for the old yeah the old oath maker that kind of subs in for the um uh the whatever the the dude's name is walder i think his name is waldrag waldrag yeah, yeah. takes the sword um, which actually only... works on many levels because he is literally an oath maker right like he's the one who makes yeah. the oath for for the southlanders to adar so right so the only reason the wild men are actually trained in combat and it reflects it in their fight three um the ruffians are fight two i believe now obviously the hobbit rule doesn't make any sense with them but that would be why i think i would lean more toward ruffians is because these guys should probably be worse in combat than the orcs they're fighting with they're like literally the cannon fodder that you sort of throw around. So um, it's weird to think of an orc as an elite but, troop, but, but in on the, the army, other, <laughs> they're an elite troop. So, but on the, on the other hand, I mean, you, some of this comes out in the wash, right? I mean, you could just say that the higher fight value is, which they probably shouldn't have, is the the counter. You know, is the it's the substitute for the armor that they don't have. Mm-hmm. Right. They shouldn't have fight three, but they do. I agree. They shouldn't have yeah. the same fight value as like Gondorians. But I mean, I'm just kind of well, like on the on the idea of ruffians, though, there's also heroes on the ruffian side that are good to represent some of the the traitors. Right. Like the guy yeah. who sets buildings on fire. Rowan, that was the whole yeah. thing where they're um, yeah. that's true. Know, they're setting the village on fire. Yeah. So you could have you could have any one of those, um, you know, ruffian heroes also represent wall drag. So I think you could go yeah. both ways and it could yeah. work, honestly. No, I'm right, Rob. All right, this is a Roman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on the on the orc side, um, a, a couple of interesting thoughts here. Um, one is so one way to do this, right, would be just be to have armor escalation all the way across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, no, I guess that wouldn't work. Forget that thought. I'm going to throw it out. But um, on the orc side. Uh, one interesting kind of take. One thing I noticed is that very few of the orcs carried shields. Mm-hmm. Uh, although some did, because at one point, um, Arendir picks up an orc shield, a discarded orc shield, and uses it. Um, so I think probably you don't want to have a lot of your orcs carrying shields. Um, it also strikes me that some of these orcs are probably Moranin like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're they're definitely they're definitely orc heroes involved, like like the big guy that fights uh, Arondir mm-hmm. in the final battle, who I think is probably Gorath. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think I think the best the best list that this could work with would be Gothmog's Legion, is what I was mm. thinking. Um, and you can sub in um, Adar as Gothmog because. From from what I've seen, Adar doesn't seem like a particularly. Um, he seems like a decent fighter, but not like elven hero levels of fighting. So fight five is probably a, a good value for him. Um, and the Gothmog special rules as well, I think, would translate quite nicely into the fact that he's inspiring the orcs and whatnot and giving them buffs. And like Dad said, I think Goroth would be another include in there for the for the massive orc. I think that's a good take. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. if, if you did the Legion, you'd have trouble. You'd have trouble integrating, you know, kind of either the Wildman or Ruffian solution. Although maybe what yeah. you do is you just say that the um, that the the humans are regular orcs, and the orcs are Moranin orcs. 
Doesn't Golf Monk have built into his profile the whole hating men thing? Or is that all Legion rules? Uh, so Goth Monk has it built in and the Legion expands it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you could choose to not use the Legion and you still get kind of those effects. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Master Tactician, arguably, I don't know the Goth Monk yeah, just charge I mean, right into a tower. The <laughs> other the other candidate would be um, like a Black Numenorian. What, what's the Black, whoever the Black Numenorian captain is. A sure, it's way too armored, yeah. though. You're probably talking about Defense 7. Yeah, but we never. We never actually see kind of, I mean, we never actually see, does he come with a shield? We never actually see what Adar's. I mean, Adar was captured. He, he's got a sword and no shield, but he does yeah. have armor on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, you're definitely looking at someone who's more like 5'5". Five, five, so Gothmog with no shield would fit that. So I'm still Yeah, that's on, true. Well, he is an uh, old elf, so. And yeah, I mean, like everything about even Gothmog's movements would translate well with that. But um, uh, obviously, don't bring a bark. Um, so, I'm trying to think of any other hero in the evil side that would represent that. So, honestly, um, Dolphin might be just one of the best picks. Like, yeah. So. Three. And honestly, three attacks probably fits Adar better than Dolphin anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, probably true. Well, um, I had a bit of a different take on that one. Um, well, if you would, well, look go ahead. I think that was just the first idea. Yeah. Like... So when I looked at the orcs, they were they seemed like they were like stronger. They could hit the broadside of a barn with a bow, and they were kind of like lightly armored but fastish. Oh, they almost felt like super strength when you first meet them. Yeah. So like, my wait, thought, yeah, like, my thought was actually to represent the the Southlander orcs. Um, Adar's army was actually hunter orcs. And the way that I would do it was this. I would take uh, a Dark Powers of Dol Guldur alliance with Hunter Orcs. And on the Dark Powers side, I'd take the, the Witch King version of the Dol Guldur Nazgul to be Adar. Um, I would take Thrain the Broken to represent um, Waldreg. And I would take the Keeper of the Dungeons to represent like the big orc, right? The one that's like bashing everyone. Um, and then just Hunter Orcs. And then I would ally in either just generic hunter orc captains or if you wanted to you could theoretically take like a fimble or someone um and have hunter orcs so that way the ones that have bows uh actually shoot better right because they're they're you know got the better better bow shooting um and the orcs themselves are lightly armored have no shields but are a lot punchier and have like a lot of march because they seem like they're pretty fast so i think i would probably do you know that's what i would probably do to represent the orcs and I feel like Adar fits the Nazgul profile because well, except, except for the resurrection, boing, I'm back up. Oh, yeah, yeah. boing, I'm back up. Except that every time you think in the show that he's dead, he pops up again, right? Like he's very slippery. So, so it represents like him getting out of situations. But without, without the um, um, necromancer in there, it's not a very reliable one. What about Fimble for that role? Because Fimble is fight five. Is he does fight Fimble have the option to be taken off his warg? He does. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah. 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 Fimble, though, also has, like, weird special rules that, like, Adar probably wouldn't... Well, actually... Well, no, I feel like, like, uh, it voids terrain actually... like an elf. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so, Fimble, um, Fimble is... 
Yeah, yeah, I think he would be good. He could also work as the. What's the special we can charge across terrain? Or no, he's got the fell sight from his. Well, that's from his warg, isn't it? Yeah, he's got move through terrain thing. You could also just you could also just buy a warg for him, and then just model it as a horse, right? Yeah, you could. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you could just do that. I mean, okay, and then then the warg passes its courage test, and you've got a horse running around. (laughs) It's a it's a feisty horse. You can just tell it. I, I like the idea of the Nazgul having like terror and harbinger because they're clearly terrified of. Was Adar, he terrifying right? Adar? Have you seen terrifying? that guy? Um, that 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 uh, worked for uh, me. He's got the whole like I've got armor and a sword and a gauntlet, and that's um that's kind of what I do. And uh, Fimble I could see is the one orc that ends up getting murdered by um a Rondir that's looking for the blade, the Jedbrophy orc, um that's kind of leading them before he gets killed. Oh, I think that's Yasneg because he's the guy that dies early. No, I guess you couldn't make that Yasneg for that reason. <laughs> How do you represent that one like berserker orc that Arondir fought for? Like, a good... it is oh. was that a special type of orc or was that like I what? couldn't tell if that was just a bigger I, orc than normal. I think Keeper of the Dungeons, but any of the beefy oh. orcs would work, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Keeper of the Dungeons, orc. I think, is the right is the right call on that. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. the only problem with this is is the hunter orc to attack thing, which I don't think accurately represents the orcs. Because two attacks at strength four, I think, is going to buzz through um, the southern list more than it really should. Mm-hmm. That, that's, I, I mean, I, I thought about the hunter orcs, and where I stumbled was the, um, was the, was the two attacks. Um, okay. You know, although... Yeah, you know, one thing you could do if you're going with this kind of um, Dolgal Door uh, themed list is they the orcs could be um, the uh, the Gundabad orcs without. Oh shields. yeah, you could just make them Gundabads without yeah. shields. That works. Yeah. Gundabads do work, yeah. And then so. it, it it functionally accomplishes the exact same purpose, just changes yeah. the orcs from a little more punchy to a little bit tougher right yeah which yeah. you know i like that yeah. uh how you get this how you get the southerners in there though i'm not i'm not yeah the southerners you have to do an impossible alliance and then just so, I mean, yeah. the only way to really do it yeah. which you know they don't need their army bonus anyway master battle and azog you're not bringing him. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um i mean okay, that was so... one that was one of the reasons i was actually thinking um for the orcs moranans mm-hmm. that shield Moranans uh, without shield was the direction I was thinking, and it would give you a lot easier access to the orc heroes that would better represent Adar, mm-hmm. the, in my opinion, anyway. But the only issue with the Moranans is like they don't have that sort of heavy armor. Like well, the armor we see on the orcs. If you just take away the shields, you're still defense five. Yeah, I, that's that's also why I was thinking about kind of armor escalation. Yeah. Um, you know, if 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 you know. Fours or fives, and what would ordinarily be a three I mean, or four? Didn't, didn't we just like talk about how like they don't have shields? So I mean, why would right they, about that. they be that defense yeah. then? Well, no. Yeah. My, my point is like, look, if we're using the, the survivors of Lake Town who are defense four to be the ordinary villagers who want to be defense three or conceivably even defense two, then I don't have a problem taking the orcs. And having them be base defense five, even without a shield. Defense two is reserved for like feeble old men. 
yeah. or like little girls. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so you know, if if defense three in this in this particular world is actually defense four, then I don't have a problem with you know the defense four ordinary orcs being defense five for purposes of this kind of matched pair of. Lists. You know that that just gave me an idea though for if you're going to do the Dolgul door based approach, you could ally in goblin mercenaries as your humans. And so they're weedier, and they kind of pop up in front of the army. Yeah, um, I guess that's not bad. And they that can they works. can represent the the weedy villagers that are sent yeah. ahead of the orcs to be slaughtered. That actually works for the whole Gundabad argument. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. I mean, cheering hordes doesn't make quite too much sense, but you could give them spears and say like that's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean they they um they're yeah. armored uh, as orcs, but armed just like the other Southerners broadly are, right? So yeah, having exactly. them have spears and. Um, whatever I think is is a small yeah. quibble, but then you have a very clear profile distinction between crappy humans and good orcs. Yeah, now I like that. That was a good thought. So I guess for sake of time, we'll move to Numenorians. And mm-hmm. does anyone have a throw idea? Because to them, they seem almost obvious. Like, like well, are so they? I, I've got they- like three different buckets i think i i I would approach it with so why doesn't somebody start well okay so let me let me put the finger on the problem Mm -hmm. and that is that there is no if they're numenorians they ought to be strength four and there is no strength four cavalry on the good side in in a certain way the best Uh, there is but not one that represents them well Well, sons of aor right right? sons of aor yeah Yeah. that's that's for certain reasons not what we want um but uh to a certain extent, what represents them the best is um, Dunlending Horsemen. Dunlending <laughs> Horsemen. Yeah, okay. I figured that's where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? If you ignore the fact that they're evil, honestly, like it barely matters, right? Like you don't have archers. So, because I don't think any of the Numenorians brought archers in the, in the battle. So, I don't think it's a bad shout, except the lack of spear. Did the Numenorean Cav have spears? They or? did. They had lances, yeah, or spears, but yeah, lances. I, mean, I, I would almost go all mounted Minas Tirith. Well, yep, he I wants to. He wants to strength four. So well, the obvious yeah, route. I is mean, to go it, all it isn't clear to me that Numenoreans in this sort of in this show are actually are strength, strength four. four. That's fair. You're right for the show's purposes. Numenoreans are no different than I. Else. I agree with yeah. Evan. Like I see this as like early Numenoreans. On the show, they clearly haven't gone anywhere to fight in a while. Most of them were like village volunteers, right, from the public square. And so the Numenorians we see in the Last Alliance that are hardened troops that survived the fall of their island and have been fighting against Sauron for seven straight years are not really the Numenorians that we're seeing in the Rings of Power. And I would say the same thing goes for their heroes. So like the Elendil of the show is not the Elendil of the no, he is modern not. profile, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I think I think Hurin makes a great Elendil in this situation. Uh, Evan, um, I think me and you are because, on exactly the same wavelength. Yeah, because yeah, he, that's he protects um, the, yeah. he protects the the king, the mm-hmm. queen rather. Yeah. Uh, so who, who I think makes a makes a decent Denethor, although I mean you have the screwy rule that Denethor comes with that obviously she has no um uh, no parallel with, but I mean, you know, we have to have her mounted. It, it it happens. Well, yeah, but she doesn't. She doesn't actually fight, right? Yeah. Um. So, uh, I mean, you could have her mounted, or you could just say, you know, she's on it. I mean, 
the reason to make her Denethor is to it like like you're saying give Elendil the kind of the Huron role, and also the fact to portray that she's just basically going to stand in the back and bring bodies. That's true. I mean, and I guess that is the best route you can go. I mean, yeah, she won't be on a horse. I mean, or you just do the obvious route and take a queen of men on a horse, right? Yeah. That's, that's true. true. Yeah, you could yeah. just... That's fair. And, and, to I mean, be fair, I think you would have a better fight profile than she would probably have. Obvi- obviously, the, the king is Denethor, though, right? So, like, if you want to take a on-island oh, of Numenor army, yeah, then you take him as Denethor. Well, yes, but... <laughs> Model him in a if, bed. If you <laughs> alternatively... <laughs> If you yeah. don't take the sort of horse thing and you want to take a on the island Numenor army, then the king can be Denethor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's much more fitting than taking the queen as Denethor, which makes, in my opinion, no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're trying so, to get the rules for it. That's all they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, I think Isildur um, and the, the his friends or whatever, um, I think a good a good shout for either maybe a Sildor or his friends would be Baragond. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, Sildor sucks at yeah. Like, he's fighting. Yeah, he's yeah. terrible. <laughs> so he's fighting. Uh, his fighting isn't great, but it's very clearly pointed out that like he's brave because he's like bracing to get into the fight. And yeah, so the, bod- the bodyguard works really well there, right? Where he's not really particularly potent, but like he can't wait to get in. He's not afraid. He just can't fire his bow. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah no, um, that's a good show. I uh, I like that a lot. Um, so this so, is. Yeah, I, I, by the way, I do like the 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 queen of the queen of men on a horse. But doesn't that create restrictions? Uh, Let's it, find out. Uh, what what do you mean by restrictions? Like, if you take the king of men, you can't take like yeah. another name, Gero or something well, like that. No, no, no. I don't think that's no a... You lose your army bonus. You lose your army bonus right, if you so take other named heroes. I'm fairly maybe sure. Arguably, you don't need. I mean, uh, Kings of Men may not be included in any army that contains any other named Gondor heroes. Yeah, so that's yeah. a problem. Right. Oh, it's I an mean, automatic restriction. Okay. Yeah, there, you yeah, you, you could just go with a captain then, right? Or um, no, well, you could even make her like Faramir or something. I think Curin is a hero of fortitude or, or valor. He's well, valor. plus you, you do so want you need both. a valor hero because yeah. Curin then will protect them. Yeah, well, and you also. You do need somebody who. I mean, you want you want the queen to actually be the leader of the army, right? Yeah. Well, that's why I'm saying you, need a hero of that. you can't. Use I mean, a that, that's what that's what led me to death, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. you're right. Yeah. There's there's all sorts of weirdness that comes at it, but you know that makes her like this is the piece you need to defend. Yeah, I mean, you know what? This is the time and... where she's blind, and so when Denethor walks around, it's because she doesn't know where she's going. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she thinks she's fighting the enemy. She's like, yeah, okay. yeah, she's blind and she's just like drawing her sword and hacking around wildly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, it, the other option I think for one maximum competitiveness and two, you can sort of see it as well, would be Boromir with the banner. Um, and sort of using him in more like a supportive role because mm-hmm. obviously everybody's inspired by the queen. Um, six, six and she have to restrain the hell well, I mean, to not use the fight six and so, you know, yeah, I, I, I see mean, she, 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 she also <laughs> doesn't fight though so we don't know 
whether she's a good fighter or she's not. this huge badass so, that doesn't <laughs> theoretically to make it fair for the yeah movie. yeah, she's just yeah like, she, just, she sits whoa. back to make it fair yeah um, you surround I, her and she's like suddenly pulling out three attacks and fights like i i um i don't i don't hate it the only problem at least with the army that i kind of was writing for this is that i think that boromir um fellowship boromir allied in would make an awesome hellbrand uh, I could go with that better than no because of the will. Uh, so I was thinking about this. I think I think Halbrand is Aragorn Fellowship Aragorn. Mm. I, I guess that makes sense too because the whole thing is like he's yeah. very mighty, right? So I was looking right. at Boromir with the lots of might and uh, the no fate because he clearly you know gets uh, hurt at the end, um, and specifically the fact that he couldn't lead anyone, right? That he's kind of on his own. But Aragorn also fits that very well as well. Yeah. So, I, and by the way, I think he got hurt because he wanted to get hurt. Oh yeah. I mean, we know that that was clearly inception, <laughs> yeah. right? But that's right. But it, it fits the what he's playing at in character, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and by the way, and Galadriel is Glorfindel. Hundred percent Glorfindel. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, that would be so. The army that I was looking at would have um, her in. Glorfindel, Fellowship Boromir, all Knights of Minas Tirith. I had a, a Queen of Men in there because I forgot about the restriction, but you could replace mm. it with Denethor. Or honestly, whatever, right? honestly, you don't even need to take the Queen because as we were talking about, she doesn't fight. So yeah, if you, you want to just, just go with behind, the fight, yeah. you can take uh, yeah, Hurin, uh, Aragorn, and uh, Glorfindel. And then Baragond if you wanted for a Sildur as well. The only yeah. problem is you couldn't make Halbrand the leader. Because like Heron wants to protect. Well, leader, arguably, I'd say Galadriel's the leader of the army anyway, right? Like, right. The, the queen actually, is that's behind, probably better. But she's the one actually leading them in battle. So I would uh, say Glorfindel is your leader, which also works really well competitively, right? Yeah. And then you've got your, you've got your army of knights of Minas Tirith, and I mean, if you want to be really adherent to the aesthetic, you don't take shields for them, just the lances, right? Yeah. Um, and then you've got, um, you know, you're probably going to need more characters just to get more bodies in there so maybe you take Cap captain man. um yeah. to represent valandil because he was like his lieutenant right yeah. um so you take and then and then you have former aragorn for hellbrand and that's your army yeah. and i Bar think that would actually Bar be really cool baragon does a sildor as well i think mm -hmm. um and then that gives you six more so hurin well. captain baragon aragorn slash boromir someone represent hellbrand and glorfindel plus all knights um and I yeah. think that would actually be a really cool army. I kind of want to try cool. that anyway, right? Like just to see how it plays. But well, you're playing all night, so it'll play poorly. like all night. <laughs> but, yeah, like an all but night. But I think it, I think it could be a fun little um, army, and especially if you get Aragorn in there um, for you know his because you're you're frequently putting him in with Rivendell knights. So these are like crappier knights, but same concept, right? Um, so I don't know. It a, could be kind of fun. As a I final did. thought, and this is just curious, is like to get the fight for. Because Numenorians, may, maybe they're not better fighters. Maybe in the show they're not. So I was thinking about the Citadel Guard mounted and then just getting all spears. Yeah. Well, they are fearless, right, in the show. So having them uh, would be bodyguarded as well um, isn't a bad shout. I actually think, though, if you, if you really want to be a stickler for the fight four, the other bucket option for this would be just to take Rohan, right, and have be like... Well, you'd have to do... Because I was thinking about... All this. Royal Guard. You, well, either either royal guard or you do um this is where you could do like aoral as alendil and sons of aoral as uh the as the troops the only yeah. the only problem is with the two attacks 
without the two attacks, they become uncompetitively, you know, if yeah. you use some different hero, they become uncompetitively expensive with the two attacks. I think they get to be a little too powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the idea that this is basically kind of a, an army of volunteers as opposed to, you know, professional trained knights actually lends itself better to the fight three in Minas Tirith. Actually, that's a good shout. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think if I was to go the Rohan route, I'd honestly just go with Theoden as the queen and keep him like relatively uh, no shield, maybe no armor sitting or, back. Or Aon, you buffer, make right? the queen. Um, oh, you could do Aon. Uh, um, and then, you, well, I wanted her to buff the army, well, right? So, and then you take, um, you take Aemer as a Lendil, um, basically, or Darewine, mm -hmm. if you want to represent the kind of protection aspect. But I actually think the Minas Tirith does lend itself better to it, because they have the lances, right? Uh, and they just, they're volunteers. Can we talk to three witches for a second? Absolutely. Well, as a quick thing, I unfortunately will have to go. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, so... God, uh, and they call me the traitor. I know, I'm sorry. I actually had a meeting right at this time so <laughs> to go but, but right. yeah um, why, why don't you why don't you drop off Devin? thanks for thanks for joining us we'll, we will very quickly discuss the three witches and then sign off sounds good see you Devin. all right so my take on the three witches were the ascetic i think obviously is tardush mm -hmm. um the nomad is a hashirin mm -hmm. the nomad is the one with the throwing knives and so the the dweller it's kind of hard to understand what she does except she seems to be the one that's in charge mm -hmm. at least in certain scenes and i said dalamir okay interesting um so that that was my take on the three huh i have to um i have to admit that i didn't even think of the three witches but that's a really interesting take could you do her instead of dalamir as like like musger or something where she just like stands back you, uh, but you i guess could. she doesn't really fight right she so she doesn't so one she blends into the background a lot she she's the one who tends to like disappear and you don't know where she is or what she's doing yeah uh, two she doesn't use magic it's only the ascetic who seems to use magic mm -hmm. and three i think there's enough scenes in there that one could intuit that she is in charge no, I agree with the in charge part. She definitely seems to be giving everyone orders, right? Yeah. yeah. It just it just seems weird because Dalamir is a Hasheran. They're just yeah. the same. You're just taking the same thing twice. And ha Hasherans do the exact same thing that he does, really. So I I feel like we Hasheran, want one we want we want one Hasheran in there, I'd say. Well, so what about the um uh, the name is escaping me, but the guy with the whip that gives rerolls? So he like stands back and gives the other two rerolls. The, the uh, taskmaster? No, um, the corsair character. Delgamar. Uh, Delgamar. Delgamar. Mm. Yeah, but but no whip. Yeah. I don't know. I. Yeah, I, I, it, it's hard to it's hard to kind of put a figure for the dweller because we don't know kind of what she does yet. But I mean, yeah. at least I I, th I think at least the idea that that she's like the the hash room that's like in charge mm -hmm. um is is at least defensible yeah um, i'm trying to think of an evil model that sits in the back and just like hands out buffs and because i hadn't given this any advanced thought I'm, I'm coming up dry right now but yeah um 
But that's an interesting thought. I like that. I mean, especially if you wanted to have like a, a little armor based on these three, you'd need to have the dweller be able to do something. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, and um, the other thing is, are you going to be putting them in another army, in which case they can kind of stand back and do their own thing? Or is this going to be your army, in which case you want like a functional all hero list, right? Even at yeah, small points, exactly. but who, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Who knows at this point? This is all. I mean, I mean, the other problem with all of this, of course, is that um, none of these three can be banished. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, perhaps they're, they're, they're their own characters, but I just wanted to kind of come up with some way to kind of talk about all three. I wonder if you could you could do this with Easterlings and have Brorgir be the wizard. Yeah, and but it's, it's, it's and the like, wrong spells. Yeah, I guess because Tremor doesn't really... Well, what if what if she was Brorgir, and because like it's all about buffing other people to do better? What if that was the aesthetic or whatever her name is? I'm just trying to make the room. The, the aesthetic, is, the aesthetic like is the flame burst character. Yeah, so you definitely want um, Cardouche for that, just because flame burst fits that perfectly, right? Right. Um, I think uh, I think for the fighty one could be a Hisharin, or you could theoretically just have a fighty character right um so maybe like a dragon knight for example from the easterlings and then you could have Brorgir be the leader or something like that maybe maybe know, so i mean the throwing weapons are very much the nomads thing yeah i mean that's all she did right so yeah um all right well anyway these are just thoughts we'll just have to see how this kind of develops yeah i like it though that's good i like that all right, guys. Thanks. It's been fun. Thank you. And uh, as always, um, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a comment on uh, what your thoughts might be on how to represent the Rings of Power or what you thought about the episode and um, keep sending in those lists. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.